Hello and welcome to the Strong Writing Podcast, where we build our songwriting muscles together. My guest today is Ivan Bodley, also known as Funk Boy. He's a bass player and music director to the stars. He has performed with 50 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. He's appeared in 12 Broadway shows and has been in, uh, inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. And uh, he can currently be seen on tour with Humble Pie. Uh, I had a wonderful conversation with Ivan, and he had some amazing insights for me when it comes to songwriting, stuff that I hadn't even considered, and it was a super useful conversation, which goes to show you that old dogs can definitely learn new tricks. But before we get into my conversation with Ivan, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, which is the Indie Bible. If you are an independent artist, you need to be putting your best foot forward and being proactive in your music career. You need to build an awareness of your music through radio airplay, reviews, interviews, and features. The Indie Bible will help you build your brand with contact information for over 7,000 radio stations, music blogs, and music magazines that want to hear your story and showcase your music. Listings are from the United States, Canada, the UK, Europe, Australia, Asia, and everywhere else. If you're ready to start reaching out and getting some ears on your music, visit strongwriting.net slash bundle. That's strongwriting.net slash bundle to get instant access to the best deal available on the Indie Bible Ultimate Bundle today. So that's strongwriting.net slash bundle bundle. This is the best investment you can make for your music today. If you're new here, make sure to subscribe to the show and don't forget to leave comments and reviews wherever you are. That really helps me to reach more people. If you want some great free resources for songwriters, head over to strongwriting.net right now for some great content that will help you be more confident, productive, and successful as a songwriter. And that's also where you'll find the show notes to each episode. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get into my conversation with Ivan Bodley. Here we go. All right, welcome to the Strong Writing Podcast, Ivan Bodley. Welcome. Hey, man. Or, Thanks or for having me. Or should I say Funk Boy? Uh, I've been called many things. I've been called much worse than that. So uh, anything, <laughs> I answer to all of them. It's all good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a name nobody can pronounce, so I'm <laughs> I'm used to being called, any, I just say, as long as you don't call me Josephine, I'm good. <laughs> I get a lot of hey you. It works for me. That's fine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> hey you with the hair. Yeah. <laughs> you see so, me with the um, hair. It's funny. If you see me in an airport somewhere, I, I the, obviously people think that I'm I am somebody. They're confusing me with X, Y, or Z rock star because I've got the hair and I've got a guitar on my shoulder. Like that must be so and so. I'm like, no, no. But thanks anyway. Nice to see <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. So. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from and your music journey, and you know, tell me everything. All right. Well, here's the tagline for the bio. Uh, uh, I've played with uh, uh, 50 5 inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I've wow. performed in 12 Broadway shows. I am an uh, inductee into the New York Blues Hall of Fame, um, graduate of Berklee College of Music in Boston, and I've been a professional full-time freelance electric bass player and acoustic bass player in New York City for about the last ooh, 30 years now, I, I hesitate to say, but uh, it seems to be working out. I paid the rent for all that time playing my stupid bass guitar and uh, 
pretty happy about it. Well, that's, that's the important part. Yeah. <laughs> keep the lights on, keep the heat on and we're good. Everything else is gravy at that point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, you mentioned Berkeley and, uh, I'm, I have almost no formal education in music. Uh, I've, I'm mostly self-taught what, what little music theory I know has been picked up along the way. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, and obviously a music education is not necessary to be a professional musician. Otherwise Absolutely I wouldn't not. be one, right. but, um, uh, but I'd love to know, like, where what are the areas where that helps? Because surely it must help in a lot of areas. It it has it has. Now I went to Berkeley late in life. I didn't go straight out of high school like most people get there when they're seventeen years old. I got there when I was twenty six. I'd already gone to college. Ancient. Yeah, ancient, <laughs> a million years old. I'd already gone to college as a, a biomedical engineering major. Ended up graduating with a psychology degree instead had basically majored in, truthfully, college radio. I was a music director of my college station. And then from that, got a job at Epic Records as a major label publicist. So I went in straight into the music industry and was stayed there for three years before I realized that the music business has almost nothing to do with music. It's all about business. It's all about marketing. So as yeah. a, somebody who aspired to be creative, I dropped out of the business. I handed in my corporate Amex card. I said, here, this is not for me. Thank you for the guaranteed salary and the expense account, but I'm going to go play in pubs <laughs> and hope for the best. Uh, <laughs> and then when last I, words. I know it was awful, you know, and it's a terrible <laughs> realization to have too. You realize like, oh man, this is like kind of the only thing I want to do. So once you've made that realization, you're like, all right, now, I think I need to fill in some gaps in my knowledge base because like you, I was either self-taught or I'd taken private lessons or I took like one sort of summer school thing at night at the base Institute of technology out in Hollywood, you know, but very kind of minimal rudimentary training. So what I decided was if I was going to actually try to make a full time go at it to have income from nothing but playing music, I really needed to fill in a lot of gaps. I was not, any kind of sight reader. My music theory was kind of tenuous, basic at best, and uh, no arranging skills, no compositional training, any of that kind of stuff. So I went to Berkeley late, but I was in a hurry to get in and get out because I'd already, you know, getting so old in life, <laughs> 26 <laughs> years old, you know, yeah. my career is passing me by. Yeah. So I graduated from Berkeley in 18 months. I did five straight semesters, wow. got in, got out, got, took a, a a sort of a custom built major called professional music of only the stuff that I wanted to study, got my diploma and then hightailed it back to New York city where I've been since 1992. This is my 30th year in New York. All right. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and again, uh, you know, like I said, uh, I've, I'm self-taught in many, I, I took guitar lessons, but you know, sure. that was, a hundred years ago. Uh, but my, it, it's worked out for me. You know, I, I'm, I'm writing original stuff. I'm doing things. It, it's, I, I just played in my own strength. I, I, you know, but then, you know, stuff comes up and I do a lot of work in theater. And so, right. uh, and also just for, for my own music, sometimes I go, oh, okay, I, yeah, I think that could use some strings. And then I realize I have no idea how <laughs> strings work. And so it, it you know, it, it, it takes a lot of time I right. had to like go to YouTube and go
go to read blogs and things and you know just figure out the range of these instruments and figure exactly. out what what instruments are there in a string quartet and so right. on right right um and so i'm sure that you know um if if that's something that i imagine that the process would have been faster if i had had more formal education uh, maybe Maybe. Maybe. And, and the, the parallel that I will draw is like, yeah, I took arranging courses and learned all these, you know, way to voice uh, dissonant chords for this heavy jazz, big band kind of stuff. And then never used any of that stuff. Like, not, I don't write for, you know, dissonant big bands. That's not what I do. What right. I get hired to do is, is soul music bands. You know, I spent like 13 years on the road as music director for Sam Moore from Sam and Dave. And these are playing all the stacks hits. Uh, Hold on, I'm coming. I'm a soul man. That kind of stuff like that. So, what I was doing was writing for, arranging for three or four horns in a soul band, you know, right. and that's a very practical piece of knowledge that you have to learn by trial and error. You learn by, uh, you know, looking in a, looking up in a reference book or a YouTube video, just uh, same thing you're saying, like, what's the range, what's the practical range of a, of a trumpet? You know, yeah. how do you write it? It's transposing. It's a B flat instrument instead of a C instrument, you know, and, and the, you know, you had to learn these things kind of on the job. Yeah. That, and there was like, I remember one part we were, we were like in, we were at a gig in Nashville, I think. And there, there, there was no trombone part for this one song. And I had a trombone. It's like, you know, he had to read something. So I had a baritone sax part. So the baritone sax is an E flat instrument. The trombone reads in C concert. If you take the, baritone part and put it in front of the trombone player and say ignore the key signature you know suddenly the notes work so he could play the baritone sax part by reading it on site they don't teach that at berkeley i had to learn no. that you know in, in the trenches you know like wow yeah. you can you can swap those parts out okay good now i know right. that <laughs> yeah well you know learning by doing is uh yeah is a is a tends to work um, unless you're an airline pilot, then yeah, you, should... you, you got to have some experience training miles, but then he also <laughs> like in doing transcriptions. So like when I was music directing with Sam, he'd say, okay, so now I want to, I want to play, uh, um, uh, I want, he wanted to do a cover version of unchain my heart, you know, the, the Ray Charles, right, yeah. Yeah. you know, so now I have to go transcribe the record for myself and try to figure out what the horn voicing is, you know, yeah. so then I can write it down to, to give it to my people to play and i'm realizing it's just a unison line they're all just playing da 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 da, da. like there's no voicing to it at all right for a lot of the soul parts and the memphis horns you know on the stack stuff some they were just tenor and trumpet you know so you don't have more than two notes in a voicing mm. so as i was you know living through this live working experience you know you, you gain education by doing in a way that music school doesn't necessarily help. Oh, all right. Here's another good example. Uh, Lenny Pickett, who is the lead tenor sax player in tower of power. You know, the guy mm -hmm. who played on what is hip and all this stuff. He's now, he's been the music director of Saturday night live on uh, right. NBC for 30 years, long time. I remember meeting him in a bar in New York one time and I somehow music education, Berkeley come up, came up and he said, no, I never went to Berkeley. I always wanted to do that. And I was like, whoa, Lenny, you don't understand. Every guy at Berkeley, every student at Berkeley would give their left arm to be able to do what you do 
Yeah. You went to the University of Tower of Power. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he learned in the real world how to do these things. And but he somehow sort of because he didn't have the diploma, felt that he was missing some knowledge. I was like, no, dude, you believe me, you have way more practical experience than any amount of classroom time would ever give you, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I, I always feel like, <laughs> you know, uh, right now is the best time ever to be a musician in many ways, even though, yes, you know, people aren't buying as many records and, uh, and music has been devalued and, and that sort of thing. But in terms of creativity, Oh, amazing. I mean, you know, uh, file figuring out you can do figuring out the uh, yeah and even just you know figuring out the range of an instrument yeah buy a software instrument yeah it'll only allow you to play those notes that's right that's so right. you know it, it's great for me because i spent <laughs> i realized this after i had spent hours googling the range of a cello and right. then i opened up opened up the virtual cello that i had and i was oh yeah that that was quicker <laughs> uh, <laughs> right right but um uh you, uh, when we, when we, uh, exchanged, uh, some messages before, um, you talked about a tool, like a, a tool for successful writing, um, yes. involving themes and variations. And yes. I would love to get you to, to tell me more about that because again, my limited understanding, uh, I'm, I, I, I sort of understood what you were talking about. Right. But it's something that I don't know much about, and I want to. I'm very selfish on this podcast. It's basically just whatever <laughs> I can learn. That's yeah. what I want to talk about, no uh, and hopefully, other people will learn stuff as well. It it's uh, this is how we all learn, you know, by having our own curiosity. Uh, yeah. So I agree with this method a thousand percent. The concept I was talking about is kind of a simple one: theme, theme variation, theme, theme yeah. variation. And why I say this is a secret tool for successful writing is because it gets used so many ways and in so many different styles of music and applications of music that, you, you know, it has, uh, it has uh, benefit, it'll provide benefit to so many different areas of composing, writing, singing, improvising, playing, mm -hmm. even making up a bass line, which is what I do all, all day, you know? Yeah. Um, and it comes from, you know, this is, this is, is a classical idea that goes way, way, way back. You know, you know, when you think about the Beethoven thing, da, 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 mm -hmm. da, 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 we got the theme, we repeated the theme, da, da, yeah. da, da, now we're going to do a variation on the theme. Yeah. So you have the, you 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 state a theme, whatever it is. It can be simple. It can be something very simple. It can be two notes, like the Beethoven thing. Yeah. And you say it again, so uh -huh. people know that what you said was an intentional. Yes, yeah. I said this, and I meant this. Yeah. Now, A A B. Now we're going to play something that's sort of a variation on that theme. Uh huh. And then very often, like in the in the jazz standard world, which came from the Tin Pan Alley world, which came from the Broadway show tune writing world, mm -hmm. those 32 measure, you know, about the 32 measure song form, that's no. the, all the, you know, all the Irving Berlin, all the Cole Porter, all the, you know, not all, but most of the you know, Cole Porter and, and Gershwin brothers, those were, the, there was a standard convention back there called a 32 measure song. 
which was an A section, a repeated A section, a B section, and then repeat the A section, A, A, B, A. Each of them, right. eight bars each. Okay. So the A section, you would state your theme, then you uh -huh. repeat it verbatim. Yeah. Then you do a variation for the B section, and then you re-establish the theme. Right. right. So that became the standard 32-bar song form, which all, all jazz standards use it, all Broadway tunes use it, Tin Pan Alley, show tunes, all that comes from that. Um, okay. If you think about uh, the blues, the blues, you know, uh, and I hate to use the, the lyric that's fr from the doors, which are not, you know, not standard Chicago African-American blues musicians. But, you know, <laughs> it's an easy way to illustrate the point. The, yeah. the, the lyric is, I woke up this morning and I got myself a beer. Yeah. Repeat the theme. I woke up this morning and I got myself a beer. Right. Uh -huh. A, A, B. And then the, the, the next line is release. And I can't remember what the next line is, you know, but. It's, it's yeah. like you, you, you have a theme, whatever it is, however simple it is, repeat it verbatim. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, then do the variation on the theme. And that's very common. Hey, Joe is, uh, yes, that's a better example because it's yeah. actually African-Americans. Yeah. 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 Well, I should be quoting Willie Dixon if I'm quoting anybody, but you know, yeah. Willie Dixon. Oh yeah. He wrote, Hey Joe, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, you know, but it, it, that's, Spoonful that's, as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And backdoor man, Willie Dixon. That, well, that spoonful is great. That spoon, that spoon, that spoonful. Yeah. Repeat it. That spoon, that spoonful, yeah. that spoonful. How am I going to get that spoonful? So A, A, B. Yeah. yeah. Theme, theme, variation, right? Mm -hmm. So that works for song form, composition. Yeah. A, A, B or A, A, B, A. It works yeah. for melodic composition. Uh-huh. Creating a melody for a tune, you know, ba, 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 ba. You know, yeah. have a theme, repeat it exactly. Yeah. And so like it gives the listener something to hang their hat on. Yeah. They know that what you're organizing is intentional. Uh-huh. Right. And then when you then your creativity can show like how can I then have a variation, an ornamentation on this theme that sort of makes it interesting. And also, uh, to riff off this a little bit, um, yeah. I think this is a great vehicle to to create hooks in your songs. A hundred percent. Because I have this I have this theory or this analysis, if you will, of song hooks. Because I used to do professional stand up comedy. Yeah. And I wrote I wrote a, a, a thesis on comedy. And I I uh, studied joke structure a lot. And a joke mm -hmm. structure is very much what you're talking about. You set up you have your setup and your punchline. Right. Right. And the setup is, it, it sets you up for, with certain expectations. Right. Right. So, right. so, you, so it gets you, if you, if you want to break it down, usually it's, you know, it takes either it, it's referencing something that everyone knows or it sets up. That's why you always have threes in jokes, right? You get right. one and then you get two. That's and then right. The third one breaks the that's pattern. Right. right. And that's the funny part. It breaks right. the expectations. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's the same thing, you know. You you set it up, you repeat it, then you you know you you get the uh, third one, and it's it's twisting it, it's the creating twist. something different. And to me, a hook works like because you laugh when you're surprised, right? Right. That's why you don't laugh many times at the same jokes because you know the joke; it's not surprising <laughs> you anymore. We know where it's going. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We've heard it before. Mm -hmm. We we're not right. surprised. So la laughter is technically a, a defense mechanism, mm -hmm. and. 
to me, a hook is a similar thing where you you take certain expectations, uh, yes. certain certain familiarity with musical tropes, and you slightly subvert them somehow. Yes. And uh, so so this is one thing, like A, A, B, you know, you, you set it up, you repeat it, and then you create something different, and it's that's exactly, what catches in your brain. Exactly and, the same. You're, you're, you, that, that laughter, that little glee that you have emotionally happens the same yeah. thing with music. You react to that, you know, like, okay, here's the theme, here's the theme again, yeah. got it. Oh, something different. That's delightful. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Right. That's the thing. And I do this, I, I've never heard this, uh, broken down the way you've been describing, but I realize as I'm listening to you talk that I subconsciously do this a lot. If I'm writing something that's, and I write, I, I work mostly in Americana, so I write a lot of folk, blues, right. that sure. sort of stuff. And so there's a lot of repeated lines and I somehow just instinctively, I guess, right. find myself, you know, if, if the, if the melody is sort of repeated, then I find on, on the third go, I'll, you know, go up instead of down or, or I'll, right. I'll do a variation to keep it interesting because listening to the three same line three times in a row just gets boring. Right. Well, what you've done without realizing it, you've just, you've done a, a course study in, in studying the masters, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, uh, repeating the success that you've heard others have by doing that. Of course. Like, you know, yeah. Even if it's not formalized as a, uh, as a compositional technique and it works for, a vocal line. It works for writing a hook. It works for yeah. creating a string part as a background line to a singing yeah. to a, a, a vocal tune. It works for creating a bass line. Mm -hmm. You know, chord same progression. thing. Chord progression, a hundred percent. I do this all the time. Like if you know the melody repeats, but yeah. then play different chords that work with the same melody, and that creates the variation. Right. Well, the you think of, again. Think about your twelve bar blues. Your A A B yeah. form. Yeah. So you state the first theme over the one chord. The second time you're stating the same thing, but it's over the four chord now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's exactly yeah. the same melody, but now mm -hmm. you're, you have a different harmonic bed that is, that's under it. And then yeah. when you go to the five chord, now you got the release or the punchline or whatever, you know, that happens. Yeah. You know. Exactly. B.B. Uh, uh, King. B.B. King said, uh, nobody loves me but my mother. Yeah. On the one chord. Now the four chord. Nobody loves me but my mother. Uh -huh. Nobody loves my mother, but my mother, and she might be jiving too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. like, yeah, and I think this is this is an incredibly powerful, you know. And I've again, I've never heard this, uh, and I've never thought of it. You know, again, as I'm listening to you, I find, yeah, I, I, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, you default to it because you've recognized it even unconsciously, and that's yeah, that makes total sense. You've been doing that. But now this is the formalized way of seeing, of talking about it. Theme, theme yeah. variations. Yeah. And this is, again, this is what I, what I love about, you know, and this is why I sometimes, I'm not going to say I wish I'd had more, but, you know, I sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, if, if I had, you know, stuck with my schooling and not just gone off to strum my guitar in my room, um, then a lot of those things maybe would have, because in terms of music theory, I know now how, helpful it is as a songwriter to know basic music theory i mean just yeah the circle of fifths i learned pretty late in life and that's invaluable just to Great. speed up the songwriting <laughs> yeah. process because yeah, yeah. you know be, be, when i was you know writing songs ages ago you know it's like okay i'm gonna have to test every single chord 
to figure out which one works in this spot. Whereas, you know, once I right. actually figured out, oh, this is how keys work and this is the circle of and all that, right, right. then, you know, okay, I know what, you know, the eight or 10 or 12 or however, depending on how jazzy you want to be, uh, the chords <laughs> are that are going to work with this yeah. thing that I'm doing. Right, um, right. And uh, so, you know, so this, again, uh, something that I've, always done instinctively but now i feel like that's that's going to be really helpful to to understand this and to then uh apply it methodically like i can now apply you know keys and scales to my songwriting you think about it too this even this even applies to sort of popular songwriting like pop songwriting form you know the standard that so many people the template that so many people use verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus chorus yeah. Right. So exactly. that's like, you know, A, B, A, B, C, A, yeah. A, or B, B, you know, B, so B, yeah, same, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the same sort of thing. It's a little slightly more convoluted than A, A, B, A, but it's A, B, A, B, C, B. Sure. Yeah. B, B. Yeah. No, know. but still it's, you know, same theme, one thing, repeat it and then yes. the variation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and that was actually, I was going to uh, ask you that next, like how this relates to song structure. Right. Um, and uh, and it kind of makes me wonder, like, um, because, you know, as we know, there are different song structures with different genres. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is this something that is universal across genres or is there a difference between genres with this? It's almost, almost universal. I mean, there are certainly people who spend most of their careers trying to break the mold, trying to break the formulas. Yeah trying to play free we're playing free mm-hmm. like if you think about ornette coleman the free jazz movement you know mm-hmm. we're playing anything we think or anything we feel now when i was at berkeley one of the courses i took with a great professor named ed tomasi was a uh, harmonic concepts and improvisation i think it was what it was called so we had to do four full transcriptions that semester uh one of them was coltrane one was mccoy tyner one of them was uh somebody else and one of them was ornette coleman and i'm thinking what's he playing it sounds like totally garbly gook you know but then when i sit down and i write wrote out i had to go listen rewind listen rewind listen rewind every note that he plays what you come to find out is that he's organizing all of his ideas in the same way theme theme variation theme, theme, variation. It's completely deliberate, totally organized. Yeah. But he's got five people playing with him who are also doing this, but maybe in different keys and different intervals and different, you know, (laughs) rhythms. So it sounds like cacophony. But then when I came to realize, I saw at one time uh, a, a documentary footage of the painter Jackson Pollock Mm-hmm. You know, he's famous for all the splatter paintings sure. that he does, right? Yeah. So Jackson had a, a garage out on Long Island, I think, you know. Yeah. And he put a canvas on the floor, and he used to listen to, like, Dixieland jazz. That was his thing, man. So he put <laughs> yeah. on Dixieland jazz, and he would take his a, a, a dowel, a piece of wood, and would yeah. dip it in a bucket of paint, and he would go X pattern, X pattern, X pattern, X pattern, walk down the canvas. Yeah. You take a different color, different color, uh, orange, dip it in the right. paint, go circle pattern, circle pattern, circle pattern, circle yeah. pattern, walk down the canvas. And I was like, uh-huh. it's Ornette Coleman. <laughs> yeah. 
he's everything he's doing is organized chaos. Yeah. You know, because when you when you we walk down the canvas eighty times now with you know four yeah. different colors and eighty different patterns, you you come out with a total splatter effect. And that's yeah. the way Ornette Coleman originally sounded to me. It was like, this is chaos. Yeah. And then when you sort of break it down into just component parts, it's like, nope, theme, theme, variation, theme, theme, yeah. variation. Very, it was very illuminating to me as a young person. I really enjoyed f- figuring well, that's, that out. Yeah, I think um, to me, I, you know, uh, improvisation, um, whether musical or uh, in theater, which is you know, where I have most of my improvisational um, experience from, it needs a framework right. to work, you know. Exactly, it's, right. Um, and, and, I, and, and I also, and I think, you know, the, the wilder you want to get, the, the more restraints you need because uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, you can, there are certainly artists in all disciplines who just do whatever free, completely free flow and just sure. make noises and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, so there are exceptions to everything and I'm not going to put down people who do that, but I think that, you know, in, in terms of, especially if you want to create something that people will enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, taking in, then there needs to be a method, I think to the, to the madness, you know, and I agree and with I, that. And I think that anytime that you've sort of seen sort of a, a large innovation in a musical genre, whatever it is, it's built upon the people that came before it, you know, they're yeah. taking the things that they know. Like for instance, if you think about like the bebop jazz guys that were coming mm-hmm. up in the forties and fifties, they yeah. were taking uh, Broadway show tunes that already right. existed, you know, this AABA 32 measure form we're talking about, and then sort of applying the the harmonic concepts that they'd gotten from the French impressionistic composers, yeah. you know, and then the the new rhythmic things that they were working out with this highly syncopated hoo ba doo ba doo ba doo ba doo bop you know. Yeah. And then w- when it came time to do some of their recordings, they would take the chord changes, the structure mm-hmm. for one of these standard songs, you know, all, you know, so it's A, A, B, A, it's 32 measures. It's, you know, it's in the key of G minor, whatever it is, you know. And then they would compose their own melodies to it using the bebop techniques that they were developing. So yeah. they were hanging it upon a framework that was imminently recognizable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and you know, and I, and I think going back to the, to, you know, how hooks work, I think that, you know, that's another example of that where you, you have something familiar and then you, yes. you subvert it. It's the same with hip hop in many cases. I think, you know, you, you, 100%. a lot of hip hop DJs will take, um, a familiar, uh, song or, you know, a, a line from a song or whatever it is right. and add a hip hop beat mm-hmm. there all of a sudden, bam, and that's the hook. Yes. You know, in many cases, you know, in, well, what, in many what, of the, how that, you know, how that started, right? Like that was called, that was called the break beat. So yeah. like if there was a sig- se- section of a song that had just like a two measure, four measure, one measure drum break mm-hmm. was just drums and everything else yeah. sort of dropped away. The DJs would take that and they would, you know, on the turntables, re- repeat that loop, repeat yeah. that loop, repeat that loop. So then, then the, the rappers had something to talk over. So exactly. they were, they were talking over, breaks you know there was like you know the, the the coolest part of the record was kind of broke down to the drums and the congas you're like oh this is great 
you know, yeah. that, that would become the whole hip hop song now. Yeah. And somebody would rhyme on top of that is absolutely. You build on what's come before you. That's always the way yeah. it's been done. Those were yeah. like jazz, like uh, the most famous is the Amen beat, which comes from, uh, I think, a jazz, or maybe it's a, a, a blues track or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a break. It was like a part yeah. of a drum solo. And, right. You know, and they slowed it down and yeah. it's. It's the basis of hip hop and yeah. drum and bass and everything comes from yeah. that one uh, drum break, right? Which is that's crazy. Right. That's um, right. But, you know, that's that was the inspiration, the spark. You know, like yeah, created, and it I, lit a wildfire. You know, yeah, and it it and I and uh, totally, I, I love that. You know, about it needs to come from somewhere, and uh, and you know, and that's kind of you know, if you think about the Beatles, which yeah. You know, I mean, uh, so much innovation. They basically created modern rock and roll uh, in many ways. And it, it was built on such strong traditions. You know, they start out by basically mixing together rhythm and blues and skiffle. Yes. Tra- two right. very traditional things. Yep. Yep. And and then later on, when they get into their even more innovative uh period um you know sergeant peppers and and that whole thing then you know then they're building they're they're taking like folk music and world music and indian influences mm-hmm. they're taking all of these different influences and mixing them together they're not creating anything new they're just blending stuff together yeah. and of course a very classical uh thing with george martin doing these string arrangements right and uh creating and, and i think that's you know you listen to this you know sitar and uh and and string uh sections and all of this stuff brought together you think wow that is a lot of different traditions coming together <laughs> yeah it is all of them building on like ancient things yeah those guys were like sponges they were absorbing yeah. everything around them and they also again they started with the uh uh the jazz standard, the Broadway standard, the show tunes, you know, yeah. uh, till there was you, they, they covered that. They, they wrote that. Right. Yeah. I mean, they wrote yeah. it. They, they, they recorded that. And that's yeah. just one of those standard 32 measure AABA things. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that the Beatles use all the time, there's is one of their, their techniques that they use, uh, which goes to the AABA theme. Yeah. Uh, they'll use non-diatonic chords. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean when I say non-diatonic chords? Nope. It means this is a chord. Diatonic means of the key. Right. So non-diatonic means it's a chord yeah. that's not in the keys. You know, so yeah. uh, um, uh, big example I use in there are places I remember. Bum, right. So the for, diatonic chord, one chord, five chord, six chord, flat seven chord. Right. So if you're looking at a major scale, we're in the key, in the key, in the key, out of the key. Yeah. And then they come back in. They do this over and over again. So like, it's, yeah. you know, in the key, in the key, in the key, out of the key, back in. Yeah. And that's that's a great, and I, I, I've used that a lot. Sure. Uh, and that's a great way to, to create, you know, uh, like, again, subverting the, the expectations because mm-hmm. even as listeners, even though we don't know why, we we understand right. that that's off somehow and if it's the you know and it's sometimes a lot of the times for me it's just as simple as i'll play a major chord instead of a minor chord right for the major for chord, the little, yeah e here uh yeah. or whatever yeah you know and, and that'll you know and it, it really might not matter for the melody 
whether it's a major or minor chord, but it'll uh-huh. just sound more interesting to use more it. More interesting, yeah. Yeah. And um, and yeah, yeah, I've seen, yeah, and the, the Beatles there, uh, and I think that's possibly for them, or pr- probably stems from, you know, they were self-taught and they they just didn't know. I mean, Paul McCartney, to my, my knowledge, still doesn't read music. Um, no. no, no, no. And, um, you know, and they, and I, I watched this great, uh, uh, documentary where uh, Rick Rubin and Paul McCartney mm, are. I heard talking about that. About, I didn't see that one. Yeah, uh-huh. it's fantastic. You should watch it. Yeah, yeah uh, but yeah. there's this great, you know, and, and Paul's telling all these stories about how these songs came to be, and a lot of the times, just yeah, like Michelle, he like learned this chord, uh-huh. and so he's like, oh, I'm going to put this in a song. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, and yeah. it was a song that he would used to play at parties, like in mock French, because he thought <laughs> right. he thought it made him sound cool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then, and, and he taught, so, you know, it's just like, oh, I learned this new chord. I better put it in somewhere. And then right. he, um, when he was, uh, when they were recording Penny Lane, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, what's it called? The piccolo trumpet? Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that solo, yep. he, he like talked to George Martin and said, yeah, because he, he heard it at, at some concert and he was like, right. oh, I want that for the solo. He talked to George Martin and said, yeah, no, yeah, I know the best piccolo trumpet player and The guy in, from in the town. London Philharmonic, he'll be right over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and, and he came over, and of course, Paul didn't have sheet music, so no. they were like, "So, what do you want to sound?" He was like, "Oh, you know, just so he just sang it." And they were like, "Yeah, yeah." And they wrote it down. Yeah, George. And then and so and then it went and 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 the guy went, "All right, you know, that's outside the the official range of the piccolo trumpet." He's like, "I'm sure you can do it." Yeah. And so and so he did it. And so that note is yeah is out of range for for the instrument in in new uh, york city they in the recording sessions they call that that's a double scale note like right. yeah there, there's guys that can play that but you're gonna have to pay them twice the the, the union rate to get them to come yeah. into the studio because it's got to be yeah. that good that guy <laughs> but i just i just think that that's sort of it's you know um guys like paul mccartney who yeah. you know don't and they're like yeah i want that note and he's like well that's that's not in the that's well cost you i mean can you find a way <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can do that. Thank God he didn't go to music school. If he had gone to music school, he never would have written that piccolo trumpet solo. Exactly, yeah. yeah. They they did things like, um, uh, there's a, it's a solo in, what is it? Is it Hard Day's Night? It's Hard Day's Night, I think, where the solo is really fast, and they couldn't play it. It was too fast. They'd written the solo, but it was too fast for them to play. Mm. So they just slowed slowed the tape down. Right, right. And did it that way. Like an octave uh, lower, yeah, and yeah. sped it up, and you know, and that's something that today, that's sure, yeah, you do that. Back in nineteen sixty, what was it, five or something? Uh-huh. That's not a thing that people did. That's they invented that. Was, that. Yeah, that was that was some innovation. Well, yeah. actually, that that had been sort of perfected slightly before then with like Alvin and the Chipmunks. You know, they right, recorded right. all those voices at half speed and then sped them double speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. that's the harpsichord's uh, solo on uh, um, which song is I'm losing. I'm forgetting it was. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's double speed. Like you can't. Nobody could play that in an actual fact because it's a double speed harpsichord part. You know. Yeah. George Martin. I think George had to play it himself, but at right. half tempo down an octave yeah <laughs> well it's also yeah i mean they probably did it a bunch of times there's also mm-hmm. the the guitar solo on hard day's night where it goes they couldn't do that lick uh, right. fast enough right, right or accurately enough i guess um 
so they, they slowed it down. And if you listen to it, you can hear that the the guitar sounds weird because it's yeah the tone playing in a range, right? but it's got those uh, bottom string sounds. But it, you know, um, there's a there's a story that Carl Perkins used to tell. Like he recorded one of his old rockabilly tunes using a slapback echo, so he would play a note, dot bon dot bon. There was an echo for each note. And he said the first time he met the Beatles, George Harrison said, oh, I learned that solo. And he, and he played it. Dun, 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 dun. He played it like he played each note double. Yeah. You know, as if they're, you know, with no effects. And and uh, Carl said, you're the only person in the world that can do that because that's not how I did it in the studio. <laughs> they didn't realize that there was an effect on it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they they taught themselves. Yeah. And the, my favorite thing, we're going off on uh, uh, wild tangents here, but I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, the, you know, if, did you see Get Back? I did. I did. I, I suffered through all eight hours of it or however long it is. Yeah. 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 I love it. Um, yeah. Because it's just, it's all, it's, it almost gets boring, but it never quite gets boring. Right. But, but it's, it's fascinating to me because we're watching people at work. Yeah. It's you're watching work days. That's mm-hmm. what you're watching. Yeah. And to me, it was such, cause I, you know, I, I, I live and breathe by the notion that if you want to be a songwriter and, and you want to do it seriously, you need to have a work ethic. You need to just yeah. you know, do the work. It's not about waiting until inspiration strikes. That doesn't work, um, at least not, most of the times. It doesn't. Not consistent, that's for sure. Yeah, and um, and you know, watching that, watching the Be- they're the Beatles, and at that point, they're at the peak of their mm-hmm. fame and everything, and uh, and they've you know they've they've made Sgt. Pepper's, they've made uh, Magical Mystery Tour and, and the White right. Album and all that stuff, right? And they're sort of, uh, and they just show up to work and they sit for hours and hours and hours writing music and just hammering it out and rehearsing. Yeah. And just making it happen. Yep. And, uh, and it's such a, uh, I think it, cause you know, they, they could very easily at that point have just been, yeah, let's get together in a couple of years when we have something. And you know, as you, that's say, not what as you say, right. As you say through that whole documentary too, they're doing exactly what we've been talking about this whole thing. Their yeah. Theme, theme variation. Get back, yeah. get back, yeah. get back to where you once belong. Right. Exactly. Theme, theme variation. And it's, it's through because they're so seasoned at that point, you know, they've, yeah. they've absorbed all these conventions and techniques from all these various sources in their, in their, where they've gained their inspiration from over the years. And it just becomes second nature to them now. And again, yeah. you, as you say, like they would find inspiration in a bass line or in a, a, a chord, yeah. you know, like, Oh, I got to write a song. You need a song, you know, that goes with that chord, you know, and, yeah. and get back is, is two chords, you know, the whole thing is two yeah. chords, but he's still got yeah. theme, theme variation, theme, theme variation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's genius. Genius. It, it absolutely is, and to to watch that being born like live, uh, like oh John's late, yeah. Let's let's play around <laughs> with the bass a little bit. Oh look, yeah. that's, this sounds alright. <laughs> Ringo, play some drums. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't realize too. Like every time Paul's playing piano, John's playing bass. Yeah, 
Like, I didn't realize how much how much bass John played on that record until I saw it. I'm like, oh, that's oh, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know. Well, he's usually he's uh, playing that that uh, guitar it's, bass thing, right? It's a it's, it's called a Fender Bass Six. Yeah. So it's a six string bass. It's tuned down an octave from a standard guitar. It's like standard guitar yeah. tuning down an octave. Uh, right, exactly, the strings yeah. are really narrow, so guitar players could kind of figure out how it worked, you know, without being yeah. dedicated bass players. But yeah, it's a it's a bass. It's called a Fender Bass Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instrument. Yeah, yeah. I it's uh, uh it's got a very uh very Beatles sound. Uh, yeah, you know, you can hear. It's, I think it's on. Uh, while my guitar gently weeps mm, has, yeah, that, uh-huh. has that on. I think it's actually Paul playing it there, but it is definitely that that bass, and it has that sort of slightly rough, it's very sumpy. It's very distorted. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. It's, it's, that that bass line in in that song is mm-hmm. the most insane. Paul Paul's bass lines shouldn't work as bass lines, right? But they but do. he's he he's because he started out as a melodic singer. Yeah. So he had all these melodics involved, you know, and his bass lines, I was just talking to a student of mine earlier today. I was looking at a transcription that I'd done of A Day in the Life. Yeah. And his bass lines are theme, theme, variation, themes. He's doing this A, A, B, A thing throughout the way he composes his lines. Yeah. And, you know, he does it vocally. He does it on the bass. He does it melodically. He does it harmonically. Yeah. You know, so if you have all these structures that are deliberate at every level of the composition, that's what makes the thing like just bulletproof. You know, yeah. people know that it's deliberate, it's organized, it's purposeful. And still, when you hear these variations on the theme, it's delightful. Like, yes, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And, and let me ask you this. Um, yeah. Does this apply to arrangements as well? A hundred percent, or even more arrangements. Because, you know, if you're talking about uh, orchestration, uh, like a lot of... Broadway shows, you know, you'll have a theme, a little melodic little fragment. Yeah. And just like by the end of the show, it's been passed around the orchestra. The piccolo has played it and the cello has played it and the guitar has played it. You know, like it's right. it's all it's completely deliberate. Like, you know, we got we, the theme and then we'll state it again with another instrument and then we'll put it in another instrument. So it might be the same melody, but the variation is the fact that now it's the oboe playing it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. At every level, arrangement-wise, orchestrationally, compositionally, it's that you can have that thing, that idea in the back of your head. You know, right. uh, even like horn arrangements on the Memphis Soul sort of stuff. You know, hmm, ba, ba, right, ba da, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like theme, something yeah. really simple, theme, and yeah. then you you double up the stab. You know, you make it a, a variation. Yeah, it's a it's a such a powerful thing, and the, the the reason I mean I've always known about it and I've always been conscious of it, but like as I was sort of studying to be a soloist, you know, for the once a month that somebody says bass solo, I'm like, oh, okay, cool, you know. <laughs> yeah. But like I was studying, uh, there's a guy named Willie Weeks who has played on the Donny Hathaway live at the Bitter End album, and they uh-huh. give him a long bass solo in this song called Everything Is Everything. Mm-hmm. And he just like he sets up a theme, a theme, a theme, a theme, a theme, 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 and he kind of beats it to death, and then he sort of variates it. Then he goes into another thing, and he kind of beats that to death, and then varies it, and then he goes into another theme. It's just it's so deliberate, yeah, so delightful to listen to as a as a listener. 
because he's yeah. taking you on the journey with him. You know exactly where one is. You know exactly what keys and you know exactly the melodic flag fragment that he's now playing with and developing mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. You know, very yeah. smart. And that's I, his, I, a solo. Yeah, it was a trick that I picked up when I was uh, figuring out how to uh, do a string quartet arrangement. Um, and I did it for a song. And the song has, um, I think four verses mm. and it's a folk song. It's not, it doesn't have a chorus. It's, right. you know, just a, 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 you know, it's, uh, that's, that's the, uh, structure, but, but it certainly does have a theme, theme variation. Um, right. uh, now that I think of it, but, um, in terms of the, the string arrangement, what I, is the, uh, so the first one, I think just had cello and then, you know, more strings come in. Mm. And then I I swapped the violin parts mm. mm-hmm. so that the the uh bottom one, the one that was below right. was playing above and the yep. one. So it, it sounds like it's a new string arrangement, but it's it's the same lines. They're yeah. just you just inverted just the voicing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh-huh. uh it works incredibly. It was like a this yeah. really um is a big time saver because it's like, yeah, this gets a little bit repetitive. Oh no, I'll just do this. And then, right. Hey, it's fine. Same yeah. notes. Just, same <laughs> notes. Yeah. And, and you um, want to use the same notes. It's like you, you want to use the same notes because you've developed that. That's the thematic material that you're working with. So it's like, yeah. it's not being repetitive or boring necessarily because you know, no, no. Like when you're again, changing the inversion. Suddenly you have a yeah. root position chord. Now you've got a, one that's got a third in the bass, one that's got a fifth in the bass. You know, you can have all mm-hmm. the same chord. You can yeah. voice it four different ways. If it's a four note chord, you know, which notes on the bottom, which notes on the top, mm-hmm. you know, again, very powerful. And what you're talking about is a pretty subtle difference by just changing yeah. the inversion of the two voices, you know, uh-huh. but it's, it's very pleasing because you've heard, you've heard it twice already before. Yeah. Then the third time through is like, now we're going to do this. You're like, yes, <laughs> nice, nicely done. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is, uh, I mean, this is so, it's so simple and it's so unbelievably powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like almost, it just, it shouldn't be this simple. <laughs> it feels like, right. it almost feels like cheating. Right. And it also feels like it's once you've really thought about it and analyzed it, it seems so obvious. Like how does everybody not know this? But what I've noticed is like, again, this goes to the specific soloing. If you're playing a solo on an instrument, uh, ostensibly you're composing a piece in real time. That's the idea. Uh Yeah. You know, so you you have to use these compositional techniques in real time to make the solo successful. So, Mm When I've been, you know, I've spent many, many years like being in the house band at a, at a jam session mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, we'd have a core group and then people would get up and they would sit in and we'd be, be playing blues or something. So in, immediately when the guy is just sitting in, the first guy sitting in, they say, okay, take a guitar solo. He's going to play every yeah. lick he knows, like, willy, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Then we go to the keyboard solo the keyboard is going to play every lick he knows wiggly 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 like there's no breath in it there's no space in it then they go to the other guitar player take another guitar solo wiggly 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 and i'm just like man there's no air in the room and then they point at me and go take a bass solo i'm like okay listen here's what we're going to do and then i would just play something simple yeah repeat the something simple 
little variation on the something simple, like something I'm doing this AABA theme, theme variation, uh-huh. just absolutely dead simple. And then maybe build to something more complicated. Maybe not mm-hmm. because coming from what you've heard is just like this cascade of notes followed yeah. by a cascade of notes, followed by a cascade of notes. Then I played some rests. Like I left yeah. some, some space in the room. People were like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, Leave any uh, leave any air in the room, and again, by yeah. playing these very simple theme theme variations, and I can't tell you how many times people come up to say, "Man, man your solo, that was an amazing solo." I was like, "You don't know how simple that was." Yeah, for me to think of, conceive, and execute because I just kept to this this idea, this this theme theme variation, you know, yeah. and it, it works over and over again, over and over again at every level. Orchestration, you have a hundred piece orchestra. You yeah. still use this idea, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Theme, theme variation is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, speaking of solo, the, uh, I'm not much of a soloist, but I, I do, I, I, 90% of the time nowadays I create my music all on my own. So mm-hmm. if I need a solo, I'm playing the solo. Sure. Um, and the, I think the best advice when I started to sort of figure out how to, how to actually compose and, and play solos was to think of solos like vocal lines Mm -hmm. yes and make sure that you breathe yes Uh, Yes. because it's uncomfortable to listen to a solo where it's there's no breath right um and this also helped me you know i instinctively understood how to arrange for horns when i started to do that because obviously horn players need to breathe they have to breathe or else they fall over (laughs) Otherwise they die. So, you know, you, so you need to write the breaths into that thing. Yes. Uh, And so I think that, and really, if you think about some of the best soloists, like Mm -hmm. quote unquote best, like the, when, when people say, oh yeah, great soloist, uh, a lot of them don't play a lot of notes. You know, Dave Gilmore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent soloist. The king of space. Yes. Everything very simple. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite guitar players uh, is Brian May. Mm, yeah. Very, I mean, he, there are some complex solos, but mostly they're pretty simple. He's not the most technical guitarist anyway, but he right, plays with right. a lot of feel and, um, you know, and, and a lot of space. A lot and of he, expression. He, and then, But if, he, yeah. if he's got a shred, if he's going to do some shreddy stuff, because he does some shreddy stuff, yeah. but he doesn't start there. He gets no. there. He builds up to it. Right, right. And again, That's, from the theme, the theme, the theme, the variation, yeah. the theme. And then finally, yeah. by the end of it, you get to this crescendo and people are like, this guy's amazing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, if you going back to classical music, I mean, you, you know, I, I, I love Rachmaninoff yeah, and, yeah. uh, you know, though, though he's, that's like big music, you know, the yes. piano concertos that yeah. it goes into incredible stuff, but it starts off very Simple and uh-huh. soft, and da, 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 da. you know, not everything starts off like Beethoven's fifth, and da, 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 da. yeah, and even that it starts <laughs> off like that, but then it goes down, yeah, and then it goes back up again, it's like super um, pianissimo, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I'm I'm doing this show, and I arranged, um, I actually didn't know there, there, there's a choral, there's a uh, choral arrangement in there which I got somebody else to do, uh, but I, I, I have all these strings and and different crazy parts. Uh, in this one song, uh, it starts from, uh, I, I'm very proud of this. It starts from us sort of teaching, you know, we're just me and the other guy with a guitar. And it's like, 
you know, so you want to sing along and we teach them a line to say, you know, it's one line and then sort of interjections and it becomes this little dance with the audience. And then we sort of go, and then uh, from the rear speakers, they're supposed to bleed in like a massive choir right? with them. And it's all arranged. They're just doing it in unison, but the choir is like doing it for different voices and and (laughs) all over. And then, and then another choir comes in singing the, along with the main melody as well. So Mm, we got like a hundred person choir and it sort of bleeds in slowly. So I'm, I'm hoping once we open that the audience will be like, wow, he sounded amazing (laughs) for a little bit. And then, Oh, all right. Yeah, I, I see what happened. <laughs> there's there's an orchestra there and everything. Yeah, this, this just got the two big. of us on stage, but you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. This suddenly <laughs> got really big. Yeah, yeah. But it's all about that crescendo and how it builds. And sure, uh, uh, that's and uh, but you know this has been uh, amazing. I've learned so much uh, and learned stuff that I I guess I instinctively understood. But uh, now I feel like I can, oh, I can actually use this. Right. And, uh, you know, it's going to, yeah, it's going to speed up things for me, I think. I think it's a simple concept that, I again, I've, I've known about it for 30 years or more. You know, I've yeah. had it in the back of my head. But now, once it, even once it became formalized, it has applications to sort of every level of yeah. complexity. So even like, you know, playing in a blues trio, you know, and up, up to you know, a hundred voice orchestra, you know, yeah. depending on w- whatever level of stuff you're doing, like even if you're starting to, starting to do more and more complex stuff or having more advanced harmonic concepts or more advanced arranging things, it's still, you know, this same thing applies, this AABA yeah. concept applies. And it works out and it makes your stuff stronger. You know, even the more techniques that you involve, the more people in the orchestra you involve, you know, everybody's, yeah. you know, it gives the listener something to hang their hat on. And it, yeah. it's so effective. It's so effective. It's unbelievable. Um, and yeah, and again, shortcut to to being effective and creating hooks. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks yeah, so much uh, for coming on and, and, and sharing this stuff. Man, uh, my pleasure. Before we say goodbye, Tell everyone where they can find you and, uh, you know, and your stuff. All my stuff is available at funkboy.net, F-U-N-K-B-O-Y.net. Has links to all of my recordings, all of my music, my book that just came out called uh, Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rock Star, in which I recount endless road stories from uh, uh, decades of shenanigans. I'll say it that way. <laughs> It'd be nice. Uh, and then all, you know, links to all my YouTube, all my social medias, all that stuff is all found at funkboy.net. Everything is there. Awesome. And I'll post a link to that as well. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, Ivan, thanks so much again. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll see you later, man. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah.